Today is Tuesday, August 18th, and this is Inspectacast, sponsored by Preferred Reports. Okay, welcome to Inspectacast. This is a second part of a three-part special where we're discussing how to become a successful independent contractor loss control consultant. Uh, The first one was about really your financial analysis you might do to determine whether or not this is something that you can make a sufficient amount of income to be able to pay your bills, enjoy life, and all that kind of great stuff. And we wanted to make sure that in that first show, it it was brutally realistic in terms of what you have to look at and what you have to compare to determine whether or not this is something you want to do. Because you cannot look at this as a regular 8-to-5 job that pays an hourly wage. That's not it. When you work as an independent contractor, you are a small business. And it is your business to provide loss control services to companies like Preferred Reports that in turn provide services to larger companies. So, you know, it's as long as you got through that first show and you did your math and you said, yeah, I think this is something that, that is definitely possible to... Or, or something that I would look into later on, so I'm going to go ahead and continue. Well, now, in this particular episode, we're going to show you how to actually obtain and keep an inspections customer like Preferred Reports uh, for you to provide loss control services to. And basically, they always tell you in classes when you're talking about marketing or whatever to have, have things numbered. Uh, say that there, here's your 20 reasons to do this or your five reasons to do that. People like it for some reason. So we'll do that here. And we're going to have golden rules. And there's only a few golden rules that you need to follow to obtain and keep an inspections customer. And one of the first things that you need to do is remember, understand and embrace the fact that as an independent loss control consultant, you are a business owner. I cannot stress this enough. You have the opportunity to make money. You have the opportunity to break even. And you have the opportunity to do like everybody else and lose money if it isn't right for you. Now, not every deal that you make is going to make you money. Hopefully, you break even on it. But there are times when you may take a little bit of a loss in anticipation of business later on. Those are all parts of business strategy. We're not really going to get into that part of it, but just understand that not every deal that you make is going to be one where you're going to have a 100% profit margin. You may have just enough to pay the bills. You may have a little bit less to pay the bills, but knowing that if you would have turned that assignment down, you may not have made the money on assignments later. So just like any business, sometimes you have to take the good with the bad, and you need to make sure you have more good than bad in in the overall accounting of everything. So there's a risk involved in running any business, and just as there's risk involved in running a loss control consulting business. So I just want to make sure that you understand that first golden rule because that is one of the big things that really separates you from what an employee is. Because remember, as an employee, they don't have the opportunity for loss uh, other than losing a job or perhaps not getting paid and ultimately quitting a job or a business going out of business. Beyond that, they have no real risk. In other words, the, the business owner that employs them, they're the ones taking on the risk. They're the ones that took out the loan, put up their own money, uh, maybe took out a mortgage on their house or whatever to, to make the business go. And if for some reason it just didn't work out, they might become unemployed, but really there's nothing else on the line there, there's not any kind of future financial impact of uh, you know a business going broke or anything like that. You just go find another job and get another paycheck. So that's where the risk comes in. Now, our second golden rule, and this is something you need to embrace and make it 
parts of everything that you do is that the companies and people who send inspection orders are your customers. They don't employ you. They have no obligation to send you work or to train you to do your job. Their goal is to retain you for an agreed fee, and they expect you to get the information in exchange for that fee that they want. Okay, so basically they say, I need you to go out and do a general liability survey on XYZ company. We're going to pay you $100 to do that, and you have 30 days to get it back to us and get it through our review department. And we expect it to be of good quality so that we don't have to have, spend a lot of time reviewing it. As long as you do that, the contract is valid, everything's good, everybody's happy, and you get more business. Now, they want and demand that the information be provided on time and be accurate. And that's important because we've come across this where people will say, oh, they have a QA department. I'll just turn in the barest minimum. They'll fix it. They'll buff it. They'll shine it and put it out. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, let's give, give an example, you know, in terms of a business transaction. All right. You have your, uh, your refrigerator's broken at your house. It's not working. You don't want to lose all your, your stuff that's in it. So you call up a refrigerator repairman who comes out, or I guess I should say repair person nowadays, but you have a repair person that comes out. They look at the refrigerator. They figure out what's wrong with it. Uh, maybe there's a thermostat that's gone bad or a temperature relay or something like that. They replace it. Hopefully it's, it's inexpensive, less expensive than buying a new one. And you pay them the $100 they charge. They fix it. Your refrigerator's good. And you move on. Now, can you imagine if you called up that refrigerator company, they sent out a service vehicle with a person on it, and the person got there and said, okay, uh, you know, what's wrong with your refrigerator? That's great. Now, how do I fix it? What do you mean, how do you fix it? I'm, I've got you here to do that. That's why I called you. Well, I understand that. And I, I understand the basic theory of fixing it, but I'm not 100% sure that I can get you all the way. I mean, I can take the back of it off. I can run some tests here on my computer or whatever. And, and if it says there's certain things that might be bad, I'm, I'm just not quite sure how to do it. Could you show me? Well, the chance of you continuing on the conversation with that repair person is probably highly unlikely. You're going to be on the phone with uh, the company that sent them and said, you better send me somebody that knows what they're doing or I'm calling somebody else. And then you certainly wouldn't want several days later, that you see a charge in your credit card for a $200 visit when nothing was done. So that's kind of the, the impression that I'm trying to get over to you is that if you're being retained to provide a service, to provide information on a particular risk, that information that comes in should be complete. It shouldn't be something that has to be corrected. It shouldn't be something that has to be researched or, or worked on further. It is your best work that comes in to the office. So remember that because as you know, if you keep calling the, the refrigerator repair people and they keep sending out people that don't know how to repair refrigerators, you have to show them how to do it, give them the tools to do it, give them the equipment. They're not going to keep calling that company. You wouldn't. Nobody would. So that's really something that you need to understand is that companies like Preferred, they're your customers. If you're a loss control consultant, they're your customers. They're the ones who pay you for your services, not the other way around. Now, there's a couple of people that are involved in any type of loss control transaction that kind of goes into this too, because all these people are your customers as well. First, this is the insured. That's the person who is welcoming you into their home or business and providing you with all the information you need to sell back to the company you're working for. Uh, they're the ones that are putting up the money for the premium. They're the ones that are taking their time out of their day, of their business day or whatever, to let you come in, answer a bunch of questions, let you take pictures or do whatever it takes to get this loss control survey done so that way they can keep their insurance. Then there's the agent. 
Now, the agent, the reason why they're involved in this is because they're the ones who get the insured, get them signed up, get them bound, and then they pass the paperwork on to the carrier who in turn does their thing. So the agent has a financial part of this because they get paid a commission based on the premiums that they sell. And then finally, there's the underwriter that has a big game to play in this uh, or a big role to play in this game. They're the ones who make the decision as to whether or not the information that's provided about the risk, the insured, is sufficient enough to say, yes, we want to go ahead and insure them. So all three of these people are counting on the fact that you're going to be professional, you're going to give good customer service, and you're going to get the information needed for each one of them to do your job. If you don't, like let's say, for instance, you went out and you were supposed to look at a car dealership with a repair, repair garage, you took a picture of the dealership, you know, the, the, the glass walls where the cars are and out in the lot, but you didn't go out to the garage area. You didn't take any pictures of that. You didn't address any questions on that. Well, the underwriter is going to kick that back, assuming it even makes it to the underwriter. And they're going to say, why didn't you cover the garage exposures here? You can't just say, oh, shucks, you know, I forgot about it. Oh, well, no. And it's also a disadvantage for you to have to go out and get that information because the insured has to be inconvenienced again to have you go out to the location and get more information that they thought you should have gotten the first time you were there. And of course, when the insureds get upset, they call their agents and then the agents get upset because if the insured pulls the business to another agent or another agency, they lose their commission. They get charged back and it all goes really badly at that point. So, Granted, things happen. People do make mistakes, but it's best to keep the mistakes to a minimum. And especially when it involves having to go back and inconvenience an insured, you can expect that that insured is not going to keep it to themselves. They're going to tell the agent and the agent is in turn going to call the carrier and say, look, we have a problem. I have a customer that's not very happy with the service that they received. And usually they don't say the service received from John's inspection company. It's going to be from preferred reports. It's going to be from ABC inspections or whoever it is that you were representing at the time. So now that you know where you're sitting in the food chain and you know that you're not on top because everybody else is your customer. So as you know, customers come first more or less. So let's take a look at the 10 simple things that every manager wants in terms of getting the inspection done and having good customer service. And these are 10 things. And after the 10 things, we're going to take a break and then come back and look at some other stuff. But they're very simple. One, you want to make your phone calls early to get the appointment to go out and take a look at the risk, assuming a call is necessary. Not everyone is necessary because some of them are done from the outside. There's no appointments. You just go take pictures and write notes on what you see from the outside. But for most commercial inspections during normal times, you're going to get inside the business and you're going to have to interview the owner. Document your progress. Every inspections company has some type of diary system that allows you to put in when you made calls, who you talked to, assuming you talked to anybody. Were you able to, to actually reach an insured? And did they just, just tell you, no, I can't do it this week. I'm out of town. I'm in another part of the country. There's nobody there to help you or whatever. That's where we come to the next one. The next rule, number three out of 10, is... You've got to make sure you communicate those problems to your managers quickly. The people that are your representatives at the company, you need to tell them, look, I made multiple calls. I start calling this right away. I made three or four calls. The last two calls, they keep putting me off saying they can't do it for another six months or whatever. What do you want to do? So that gives the inspections company, like preferred or whoever, the opportunity to call up the underwriter, whoever placed the order, 
and tell them, look, we're having problems getting in to see this insured, and this is why. And then the underwriter can can do their thing. Uh, if you do make an appointment, please, rule number four, arrive on time for that appointment. You've got to make sure that you're not late. Don't get there too super early either. I mean, it's always good to be a few minutes early, but not so much that you inconvenience whoever it is you're meeting. But certainly be there on time. And then number five goes with number four is respect the insurance time. Make sure that you have a fast and efficient inspection style that allows you to quickly gather the information you need to complete the report. One of the bad things, and and we get complaints from this, and I saw this when I would do field training or whatever with people, is you'll have a sheet that has all the questions on it, and you're going to ask each and every question on there, even if it refers to the particular inspection that you're doing or not. Because a lot of these forms are multi-use, and it might say, is there a daycare on center? Is there a daycare center on property? If you're inspecting a manufacturing facility that does not have any regular offices or anything that would not have a daycare center, there's no reason for them to have it, then more than likely you shouldn't ask that question unless you see a bunch of toys around in a, in a kid's play area because it kind of damages your credibility with the insured. When you're out there, make sure that you take good photographs. That's rule number six because if you don't, there may be problems. You may have to go back again if it's a very critical photograph that the underwriter needs especially for recommendations that you're making. That's when you're kind of like a traffic cop writing a ticket. You need to get this fixed. If they come back on the underwriter and say, I don't know what he's talking about. We don't have something like that. Photograph takes care of that kind of problem. Make sure you have photographs. Number seven, obtain all the information you need before or during the visit, not after. If you're talking to the insured and they tell you, I'm not going to be able to be there but my daughter is an assistant manager there. She'll give you what she can and whatever you can't get from her afterwards, give me a call. That generally doesn't work out. It's a good idea to say, well, if your daughter's going to be there, why don't I just go ahead and ask you the few questions that I need from you and then I can get the rest from her. That way I don't have to bother you again. And they usually, usually it's about four or five questions that the owners are going to know, uh, salaries, uh, payroll, income, whatever, that kind of stuff. And they'll give it to you then. That way, when you go out and the daughter meets you, you don't have to ask her questions that she's not going to be able to answer. And you're not going to have to wait for a callback, which sometimes may never come. And you'll be able to turn in the report with all the information you need. Number eight, and this is important, upload the photographs you take to a safe location every day when you get back to your home office or wherever it is you work from. Make sure you get those photographs off your phone or off your camera into a server, preferably upload it to the company that you're doing the inspections for so that way it's in their system and you are no longer responsible for it. Because I can't tell you how many times we hear, oh, my data card is corrupted. For some reason, I can't find the pictures or whatever. If they're not on your camera anymore, they're out of your possession, they're over with the company you're doing work for, or they're someplace safe, you don't have to worry about it. Now, our last two before we take a break is write up your report within a few days of the visit. That's number nine. How many times, I, I, I would make a lot of money if I had a nickel for every time that somebody went out and did an inspection and then 10 days later, they still haven't turned in the report. Oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. They're very good at going out to do the inspections. They don't have a problem with setting up the appointments and getting out there to do it. It's just that they may schedule themselves so much that they don't have time to do the write-ups. And by the time they get home, they're tired. And I've done it myself. Oh, I'll do it over the weekend. Well, the weekend's beautiful. You want to take the boat out. You want to go do something or whatever, go skiing. And 
it ends up going into another week that you're too busy and can't write up. So make sure you put time in your schedule to write up your report within a few days of the visit. It makes sense. And in fact, some clients do not accept things that are submitted within so many days after a visit because they consider that information stale. And finally, and this goes back to what I originally said, number 10, submit your best work. Don't expect your customers to fix your mistakes. Now let's take a break. And after we come back from the break, we're going to look at some other golden rules that will make you a successful loss control consultant. Are you a retired underwriter or loss control consultant? Are you an experienced inspector looking to temporarily leave field work and spend more time at home during the pandemic? If so, Preferred Reports has an opportunity for you. Our rapidly growing ASAP unit needs qualified inspectors to conduct telephone-based remote surveys and review insured submitted assessments. Calls are done on your schedule from your home. Fees are paid weekly on completed cases. All you need is experience, a phone, a computer, and high-speed internet access. Individual earnings may vary, but this is an excellent opportunity to gain income while staying home. Contact Preferred by email using info at preferredreports.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at preferredreports.com today. Remember, Preferred Reports supports America's small businesses and independent contractors because they are the backbone of our nation's economy and critical to our economic recovery. Okay, let's get on with our third golden rule. We've already had the first two. All right. First one is you're a small business. Always remember as you're a small business. Second one is that insurance uh, information providers such as preferred reports are your customers, as well as the insureds, the agents, and the underwriters. Everybody's your customer. Now, here's our third golden rule. And that is never saying no. Remove it from your vocabulary because consultants who consistently say no to every request that a company may have will stop being called. Sooner or later, they're just not going to ask again because they know the answer is going to be no. And unfortunately, not every time they ask is going to be really a bad deal. And a lot of times it's not a bad deal at all. You just have to look at it the right way. Uh, you know, just like you, managers who, who manage inventory... Uh, with companies like Preferred, want to make sure they keep things simple. They have thousands of orders that they have to get placed in multiple states. For instance, Preferred Reports covers all 50 states, including Alaska and Hawaii. And we have literally a thousand consultants everywhere doing all these inspections. And some consultants do certain types of inspections. Others are generalists, like we talked about last time. Some are specialists. And you've got to make sure those orders go to the right people so that way you get the right information back. Well, you want to keep things easy. You want to keep things simple. And if you're going to call up a consultant and say, hey, I've got three cases that I need you to get, you're qualified for. They're just GL cases. In fact, they're on the way to going to get this other one. Or they're just a little bit outside the territory that you have established, let's say a few miles outside. Uh, but it's, it's three good cases. You'll be able to knock them out right quick. You know, it'd be great. You'll make some money. You say, no, that's two miles outside of my territory. I'm not going to do it. That's fine. They may ask you again, hey, I've got two more cases out there. Do you want to do it? Now there's five if you want it and you can go out and get them done. No, they're two miles outside my territory. I'm not going to do that. Now this may sound unrealistic, but this happens every day. It happened to me when I did field management. It happens to our field managers every day. Somebody's going to say no, even though in the back of your mind, you're thinking, geez, it's only a couple of miles away. They're pretty much close together. There's no reason why they can't get this. So what ends up happening is 
as a manager, you have to do a couple of things because you've got to move that inventory. And the first thing you're going to do is go to somebody else on the list that's nearby and say, hey, would you go get this? And chances are, depending on what their inventory is and what the thing, you know, how much work they have or whatever, they're going to say yes. But they may say, you know, that's a little bit far for me. Is there any other work out there or can I wait to get more assignments to go out there to go get that area? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, I can send you over some more work. And next thing you know, your text message is going off or you're getting an email or a phone call. Hey, those three cases you haven't scheduled yet that I gave you the other day, I'm going to have to assign to someone else. I've got to give them enough work to go get those cases you didn't want. So now they're going to have to go get it. So I'm going to have to take three cases away from you to make it worth their while because they're having to travel a little bit further. So we've got to make it worth it to them. So now your no, your solid no to those few cases that would have made you some extra money that you didn't have to go very far out of the way are now actually going to cost you anyway. You're going to lose inventory because it's being given over to another inspector. Now let's take it one step further because this happens. All of a sudden, the manager finds out that, hey, that guy that they just called that happens to live 20 or 30 miles away but has no problem whatsoever traveling for some volume never says no. I may need him to go 150 miles. He'll say, sure, just make sure there's enough work to make it worth my effort. Well, then he's going to be the go-to person or she's going to be the go-to person. And when you have those cases or special trips or whatever, you're going to call them. And if they say yes, they go make the money. The people that say no don't make money and in some cases may lose money because next thing you know, that good rep says, yeah, I've got enough volume now where I'm going to expand my territory and I'm going to cover this part of the state. And they become the primary inspector. And all of a sudden you, who was once primary in the few zip codes you covered, you're now secondary or not even given assignments because you're too far down the chain. That's the danger of saying no. Also, the danger of saying no is, okay, maybe those two cases just weren't worth it. You really didn't have the time to get it done. You had other things going on with other clients. And you explain it all to your manager. That's fine. But that still means that manager may not call up when they have 20 cases that are all from one insured and can be done within a matter of a day or two and you can make lots of money on it. They may not call you for that. So if you do have to say no, and it's probably best that you don't say no, but if there are those times when you absolutely have to say no, make sure you explain to the manager why, that you're not just being a contrarian, that there are actually you have other obligations and you do just simply do not have the time to give it the service that it needs, but that you will be certainly interested if there was other things that came along at some other time to please contact you, and that may still keep you on the list. Now, our fourth golden rule is don't think of it as orders. Think of it as money. And I teach this to all of our field managers. Uh, you get paid a certain amount of money per case. And let's just really make it easy. Let's just say you get paid $100 in inspection for whatever you do. So if I call up and say, hey, Joe, I've got 30 inspections that I need you to do uh, over the next week, but it's outside your area. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I don't have anybody else to do it. I'd like you to do it. Well, how far out is it? Well, it could be 100 miles. It could be in another state. For instance, if you've traveled in the past, if you turn that down, you're thinking, oh, you know, man, I, I, I don't see any reason to do that. I've got things I have planned next week. So, no, I can't do that. Remember, 30 cases at $100 a piece. Do the math yourself. You can figure out that's a good chunk of money. And when you look at the fixed cost of fuel, uh, because, you know, you know what your mileage is on your vehicle. And hopefully it's a high mileage vehicle that you drive and not some giant pickup truck that burns gas by the second. Uh then you understand that you're turning down a great deal of money. And if you put it in your mindset that every order is money, 
when you start getting around 2 o'clock, 2.30, and you've stopped at McDonald's and picked up a shake or gone to the, you know, get some more gas and picked up uh, the 99-cent Coke or whatever that they have at the quick trip, and you're saying, you know, I've got some more of these inspections to do, but they're not appointment inspections. Maybe I can put them on to another day or something like that. Don't think of them as orders. Think of those inspections as that's another $300 I could get in. And that means that maybe next week I may not have to do a Friday. Maybe I can take the inspections I had on Friday, move them to another day, and, and I'm, I'm going to be able to knock them out and I'll have a day off. Or maybe I can do more write-up or something like that. You have to start thinking in terms of money and not actual number of orders. For Christmas time, I usually tell the managers, think about what people buy at Christmas and say, hey, how would you like to take your kids on a vacation to Disney? Well, of course, everybody, if you like Disney, if you've never been there, you're going to want to go. After you've been there a couple of times and it gets kind of old. I lived in Orlando for a bit. So believe me, it gets old. But nonetheless, that's an expensive proposition. That's thousands of dollars. But if I told you, hey, I understand. You you told me when I talked the other day that you were going to be going to Disney. I tell you what, I've got $2,000 worth of work for you. Are you interested? And that's above your normal work that you get. If you put that into the perspective or into the context of there's $2,000 to help pay the five grand that I'm going to need to go to Disney, then more than likely you will look at it in the right light. That means that absolutely I'll go take care of those $2,000 of inspections because that's $2,000 that I wouldn't have gotten anyway. And now that can go towards my vacation money or whatever else. You just have to not think of it in terms of pieces. Think of it in terms of revenue. When you're a wage earner and you're working in a factory and they tell you, or, or if you're a salesperson, let's use the car dealership since we mentioned car dealerships before. If you're working at the car dealership and they tell you, um, hey, I want you to sell three extra cars this week. Well, gee, three extra cars, I, I, I sell seven and that, that's hard to do, but you want me to do three more. Yes. Now, you may not be that enthused because maybe the commission money doesn't give you a whole lot more if you sell those extra three. But you get an hourly salary, for instance, and it just doesn't give you any, any added advantage other than you did the extra three cars that they asked and maybe they'll give you a pat on the back. It's not going to cost you your job if you don't. It's not going to, to cost you anything, really, if you don't sell those extra three cars. So there's not a lot of motivation there. Same thing as if you're working on a manufacturing line and they tell you, hey, you've got to go ahead and we want you to make 10 more widgets this week than normal. You're still getting paid $15 an hour to work on the line. It doesn't matter whether you get those extra widgets or not. They can't affect your job. So are you really motivated? But when you're a small business owner and I tell you, you can make $2,000 more of revenue that you never anticipated, never expected, and that's more money to your bottom line, and that's more profit for you, then that changes your mindset. You'll say, absolutely, yes. I can tell you, and I've mentioned this in shows in the past, uh, my kids were all young when I was doing field work, and there was never a vacation that we went on for a period of years that wasn't paid for. And it was not paid for directly. A company didn't just give me and say, here, go on a vacation. Here's a check. Instead, they gave me enough work going down to where the vacation was and coming back from the vacation. And I had enough time during the day to go do my work and then come out and spend the afternoons and the evenings at Disney or at Universal Studios or, or Key West or wherever it is that we went to do inspections at. And my wife and the kids would go out and do stuff during the day. They'd hang out by the pool or whatever. And then we go out, have dinner at night and go do different things. And those, those 
vacations if you want to, you know, it never cost me anything. I mean, it certainly cost me revenue, but I was paid fees to go do all these trips and that covered all my expenses. You can do the same thing. It's certainly possible out there to do that. Well, this brings us to our final golden rule. And that is never provide services to just one company. And don't trust companies that tell you, we don't want you doing services for anybody else. If that's the case, then they should give you an employment contract and guarantee you income. Because, and I've seen it happen before. I've had a few in the past, not recently, but in the past would say, we want you to be our primary person and, uh, you know, we'll give you the work in your area, but you can't work for anybody else. You can't. If you work for anybody else, we're not going to use you. Well, that's an employee. And if that's the case, then you need to guarantee income, benefits, and all that kind of stuff. And nobody's going to do that. So you really need to make sure that you're spreading things around. So that way, if for some reason one company loses a contract, you've still got income coming from another company. And if you're in a rural area, especially one that doesn't have a ton of orders every month, it may be necessary to get with five or six companies, whoever you can sustain paperwork-wise, and through the five or six of them, have enough orders to go out and do the inspections in the areas that you're in. And it's really good if, if you happen to be in a rural area and know how to work this well, and you're the go-to person to five or six companies in that rural area, there's every chance that you're going to make good money. You may have to drive a little bit because you're rural, but you'll have enough concentrated work to make it worth your while so you can go out and turn your income that you want to get every day. Remember how I told you in the first show, come up with how much money you want to make every day that you go out to do inspections. And however it takes for you to make up that money, whether it's inspections, taking pictures for the newspaper, or doing mortgage work or whatever, get that done, and then your life will be happy. So same thing here. Make sure that you go ahead and have everything arranged to where you have more than one company because it's really important. Let's, let's do one last practical example before a break, and then we'll wrap everything up. A practical example is, let's say you've been doing a lot of work for uh, Rainco. Rainco is a big insurance company. They write lots of um, companies, uh, let's say convenience stores in your area. And you probably do 50 Rainco's inspections a month. And you know Rainco like the back of your hand. You've been doing it for years. All of a sudden, the company that you work for, ABC, loses the Rainco contract for whatever reason. Uh, maybe another new company came in and offered them a better price or something like that. So the next thing you know, your income, if you were only with that one company, could go from making six or 10000 a month or something like that, whatever it might be, or to zero pretty quick because Ranco has moved somewhere else. But fortunately, you were smart. You were on the line with about five or six other companies. Uh, some of them would give you only a few cases a month. Others would just, you know, help really feed in. But you never, you never really said no. You took things in. You worked out the schedule. You made it work. And lo and behold, Ranco goes to another one of your companies. And all of a sudden, you start seeing Ranco work come from them. And maybe they pay you a few dollars more, a few dollars less than the last one. Who knows? But you're able to tell the person that, that coordinates for you or that assigns you cases, hey, you know, I've got 10 years experience doing Rainco inspections. I've been doing them forever with another company. You become the go-to person for that new account because obviously they want to prove themselves with that new account and you're an expert at them, okay? And all of a sudden you get more Rainco work than you knew what to do with. You might even go off and be paid to do some training with other reps outside your area for that Rainco work. And you're able to save that income and augment it with more business. Whereas if you had just been with one company or two companies, you may have lost 50, 60% of your annual income in the blink of an eye. 
And that's the danger of the type of work that we do is if you're a consultant and you're an independent contractor, your customers can pull their work at any time. There's no contracts that say they guarantee you 100000 a year in income. It's not going to happen. If you get it, then good. Stick with it because that's good for you. But do not ever limit yourself to one or two companies. And I, I will talk to consultants and I hear them say, well, I want you to be our, I want prefer to be our primary company. I don't want to work for any other ones. Big mistake because even if you have a company that's the greatest in the world, and of course, I think the world of preferred reports, so I'm going to say that, but even preferred reports could have the potential of losing a customer because not necessarily because of something we did, perhaps their program dropped or they no longer have the ability to write premium in certain states that you cover. So you could go from 50 or 60 inspections a month to none to a sign out. And it has no fault of your own. It's just the nature of the insurance business. And there you go. You have reps that are in great reps for you, but you have no more work to assign to them. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just the way economics are. But yet, you know, you have some that thought you were their primary way of earning money and they did not branch out and get other companies as well. So please remember this last golden rule before we get into the summary part. And that is work, do work for multiple companies, provide your services to multiple companies as a contractor and cobble a good business together. Don't ever stick all your eggs in one basket. I assure you most insurance carriers don't. So why should you? We're going to take a quick break. Come and wrap it up. Thanks. Are you looking for a change of pace? Perhaps a change in scenery? Do you want more out of life than a cubicle and a paycheck? Tired of doing the same thing every day? Perhaps your employer or job has fallen victim to the pandemic. You can't count on government relief for your income forever, so perhaps it's time to try something different. Preferred Reports, one of the largest providers of insurance risk intelligence in the country, is sponsoring free online residential insurance inspection training starting soon. Learn the basics of inspections and expand your income opportunities within the insurance industry. Work at your own pace when you want. It can all start with this free course. Preferred Reports offers no guarantees, only opportunities with this exclusive online program. Using a mix of live webinars and online courseware, you will learn the basics of insurance inspections part-time. All it costs is your time. Contact Preferred Reports at info at preferredreports.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at preferredreports.com if you're interested in this no-cost, no-obligation opportunity. Classes will start soon, so contact Preferred Reports today. Okay, well, let's come into our conclusion. So we've covered the, the really the, the golden rules, the four golden rules, as well as the 10 things that you need to know to make managers happy and to provide good customer service. Um, we'll certainly, our goal is to have an article out that covers a lot of this stuff too, so that way you have information on it. You can also check the transcript of the podcast. I must tell you that the transcripts are not exactly edited. Uh, they're done by a computer, and, uh, you know, that comes up with some weird stuff. It's just that we don't have the time to go and edit it and clean it up uh, Apparently, Inspectacast is also known as Inspectacat. So I didn't know we were in the veterinarian business, but it was kind of interesting how the computer, uh, the AI that we use to, to do the transcripts, writes it out. But the last thing, since we mentioned working for multiple customers, uh, because they are customers, that doesn't mean you can't fire them. Um, 
throughout the years that I've done this, uh, you know, I had some some rules that I had in my mind uh, that I followed that that worked real well. One was I should expect to always be paid for my services as agreed on time. So if someone said you will get a check every two weeks for all the inspections that you cleared by such and such a date, I kept track of that and I expected my check to arrive, that it would be deposited into my bank and that it would cash. Uh, Every now and then I'd come across a company that would bounce a check and I would give them one chance, one chance only. If a second one happened, then I would no longer provide services for that company. It's just not a good idea. Fortunately, I, I haven't heard much about that happening recently. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there, small companies in particular, uh, that cash flow can impact very hard because this, this business, remember, we pay up front for services that we bill for later. So if you do an inspection uh, or a series of inspections at the end of a month that we may have to pay you $2,000 for, we may not be able to bill our part of it until another 30 days later. So it becomes a cash flow issue. So as long as you're you're dealing with companies that understand the concept of cash flow, they understand that they have to pay you and then collect later, that's great. You will come across some companies that say they will not pay you until they get paid. That is putting risk onto you that you should not have. I mean, I can, I'm certainly not going to tell you don't work for companies like that. Certainly, if you have a track record with them and if they have a good reputation with other inspectors, uh, it might be worth the risk. But just remember that you may end up losing out on a week or two of revenue if you're only doing it for one company and that one company just happens to uh, to not pay you. Now, of course, there's ways to, to try to get yourself paid. And certainly... Uh, I could tell you what those are, but I think the best idea would be to consult with your attorney or an accountant that you work with for your small business, especially the attorney. Uh, Some of the the people I've recommended that you go ahead and use something like prepaid legal if they're able to cover, you know, small business part. That way you'll have an attorney that can write a nasty letter or something like that on your behalf to try to get paid. But uh, you really have to then evaluate the relationship. Are you making enough money? to really warrant continuing to provide services? Uh, is it easy to work with? Is their system satisfactory for you? Are they expecting you to fax reports? Are they expecting you to do a bunch of extra work that you really shouldn't have to do and you don't have to do with the other clients? Those are the kind of things that go in your mind. Now, if they only give you a couple of inspections at a time and, and you're, you're the only one in the area you know that they have and stuff, then maybe you could consider that. But if it becomes too much of a burden on you or if their expectations are way too high that you can't deliver, it's causing too much trouble, that's when you can say, hey, look, I really appreciate the work that you're sending me. However, I'm just too busy uh, with all the other stuff that I have going on, so I'm going to have to bow out or I will have to reduce you know, the amount of inspections I do, et cetera. I mean, whatever it takes for you to take control of the situation, just because they're a customer does not mean they rule you, okay? It's your business. You decide whether to accept a client or not. It's your business to decide whether to accept an assignment or not. And at the end of the day, it's up to you to determine if you're making enough money to make it worthwhile. So in that way, the power has been returned to you. You are providing a service that is needed. And as long as it's good for you and it's good for them, you have a good relationship, you have uh, you know, a solid business agreement to go forward. Otherwise, you know, one party is lacking in those agreements, then it's best not to continue. Because face it, I think the old term, and people still use it, is a win-win agreement. That means both sides of a transaction are winning. The insurance company's getting something good for theirs, uh, for the money that they're spending, and you're getting good money for the amount of work that you put in to provide that good quality report. So uh, 
You might have noticed from the recording, uh, the little commercial, if you want to call it that, right before this break, that we are offering an opportunity for people to take training that is uh, free of charge. We're not going to charge you for it. We're not going to guarantee you anything. In other words, just because you take it doesn't mean that you could become a vendor for Preferred or any other company for that matter. But it will give you an opportunity to learn one of the most rudimentary basic inspection types, which is an exterior residential inspection, which we get a lot of, believe it or not, and all the other companies out there that do residential work get a lot of these things. And basically, they don't require a lot of interaction with the public. They don't require appointments. Uh, Depending on the type of inspection it is, you may not even have to get out of your car. depends on what they want. And although they're not the highest paying in the business, if you have a lot of them that are in a close proximity to one another, you can make good money. And uh, certainly when I started out doing it, before I went into commercial, I fed my family for a good year doing residential work, and I never turned residential work down even after I started doing the high-end commercial stuff later on because it's always a way to pay for gas, pay for your snacks, pay for your lunch, and, and pay for the kids' movies on the weekend or whatever it is when they come ask you for allowance money. I guess they still do that. Uh, I, I just had a grandchild, so I guess I'll have to get back into that again. But nonetheless, uh, you know, when they come to the mom-and-pop federal ATM to get some money out, you'll be able to have some extra money because you went and picked up a few extra houses for 15 bucks a pop and made 40 or 50 extra that you didn't expect to make for a certain day and you didn't have to make an appointment. Uh, and there's ways that we can teach you how to really work that, and that's for another time. Uh, certainly, I think we've spent enough time together. You're probably getting bored if you've listened this far. Hopefully you have because our third part is going to be really pulling everything together and how to make this a good functioning business, a good relationship for you. And we're also going to run through some scenarios that you might run across to help you through. And we're going to give you some referrals to find companies like Preferred Reports that you can provide services to. And if you already have experience, if you already have a particular specialty, you may not have been an inspector in that particular business. But for instance, if you're safe serve certified for fast food restaurants or for a restaurant, that's perfect for doing restaurant and bar inspections. Uh, maybe you used to be a building inspector for a municipality and you retired, you want to make some extra money. That's perfect to do property inspections. And certainly the general liability part of it falls into that as well, even though you may not have seen it as that, uh, you know, you certainly, when you're checking for building code compliance, a lot of that has to do with, with safety and, uh, you know, the, uh, ADA compliance and all that kind of stuff. So Remarkably, you would be able to go out and knock out these commercial reports very easy because you'll find that the forms are very similar to building inspection forms, to fire inspection forms, to all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of crossover. Uh, We see a lot of people who are retired detectives that are used to talking to people. They know how to talk to people. They know how to get information out of them. And they, they know how to schedule. They know how to get appointments. And it works out great for them. They may not have been particularly trained to be an inspector, but They're extremely observant, and they know how to ask questions, and they know how to write reports, and that's really a big part of the battle. So we'll go over that. But thank you for part two, and please check next Tuesday for the end of our three-part series, part three, on how to be a successful insurance loss control consultant. This is Inspectacast, sponsored by Preferred Reports, and I'm Tom LeGro. Have a great evening. Inspectacast is a production of Windowless Media Atlanta and Preferred Reports. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.